Are we gonna do what they say can't be done? We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm eastbound just like no bandit run. Keep your foot hard on the pedal. Some never mind them brakes. Let it all hang out cause we gotta run to pay. Welcome to Highway Freaks. I'm Bright Guy, your host, standing by Mike Selmy, J-Man, and of course, the wild man, Will, our sound man. Well, guys, we've got a few announcements to make. First of all, and foremost, we are still looking for that female podcaster to join our show. You want to be part of the road crew, and you think you can do what we do and make us look stupid? No problem. Or... Maybe you've got something interesting to say. That's that's great as well. We are looking for anyone in Canada or United States. And all you have to do is just email our new address. We actually have a new email address, guys. It's highwayfreaks at hotmail.com. Or, if you like, you can personally email myself, Guy at bws underscore bearholdings at yahoo.ca. We'll give... 1988 at hotmail.ca and
So we're really looking forward to that. And on Christmas Eve, that's right, Thursday night, December 24th, Christmas Eve, we have someone calling in from the North Pole. And he is one pissed off elf. This guy's name is Alfie Curly Hughes, the head of the uh, Union 169. And he's going to talk about Santa's extreme cutbacks at the North Pole. I mean, unbelievable what I'm hearing is going on. Uh, the rumors are that Rudolph is not eating carrots this year. He's eating Brussels sprouts. <laughs> so that's one you don't want to miss. Big news this week. Well, a volcano erupted in Hawaii, the Mauna Oawa volcano. Now, here's the funny part, guys. People are actually booking trips to go see this. Uh, they want to go see 180 feet of molten lava fly up in the air. What do you think might happen there, guys? Well, I'm expecting a few tourists to get uh, barbecued. Yeah, yeah. they're going to go to their own barbecue. Exactly. With a praise you got to pay to have fun, you know, I guess. You know, it wouldn't be wow. my, my first choice to go up to a, an exploding volcano unless I really wanted to picture I, I mean, I probably would, knowing, knowing me, but, I mean, in, in reality, it's not really, uh, um, I, I guess, the most logical move you can make. So I got to tell you guys, I had White Castle tonight. I had White Castle. And have you guys ever had it? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. I I ordered the uh, slider special. Now, there was uh, not a word of a lie. There was 10 burgers, and um, they call these things chicken rings and french fries. And it was a good price. It was like $20. But these hamburgers are so small. So I bang into this guy, Steve. He's my own boy. I got a shout out from because he's actually going to be listening to our podcast. And he goes, you know what? There's sliders, right? And I said, no. He goes, are you going to be close to a bathroom? I said, yeah. He goes, you'll find out. <laughs> I said, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So, but then it had four of them. They're so small, like two bites and you're done. And the chicken rings are, imagine onion rings with chicken in them. Oh, my God. They were so good. And the french fries were just to die for. And we didn't quite finish it. I think we got, like, a couple sliders left and some chicken rings. But that is my new crack. I like White Castle. Now I know why Harold and Kumar went to White Castle. Yeah, here I am just finishing off uh, butter chicken. <laughs> what, what did you have for supper tonight, Jay? I haven't eaten yet. Oh, so you're, you're in, you're in Pezzanville at the moment in Quebec, California. So let's get into not Quebec. Quebec. It's Lebec. Oh, Lebec. Ah, okay. All right. You know, you know, as truck drivers, you know, you know, as truck drivers, we're usually deaf in one ear, right? So. <laughs> That's right. So we're going to get into my first topic. And we've driven by here hundreds and hundreds of times. And I know a lot of truck drivers out there, you guys have always gone by Little Bighorn. And you're probably saying, I really, really wonder what exactly that's about. So we're going to talk about Little Bighorn. Okay, so we first came across Little Bighorn Battlefield September 7, 2009. My wife was trucking with me at the time, and we decided we'd sneak in the battlefield. Now, what we noticed was that the real sense of despair and solace around the gravestones, which there are many, many, many gravestones, 
to understand that, let's look at the history of this amazing Montana historic landmark. Now, this battle was fought along ridges, steep bluffs, and ravines of the Little Bighorn River in south-central Montana, June the 25th and 26th, 1876. Uh, so many indigenous tribes were involved, including the Lakota Sioux, the Northern Cheyenne, and the Arapaho, battling men to their death of the 7th Regiment of the U.S. Cavalry. In 1868, many Lakota leaders agreed to sign the Treaty of Fort Laramie, and it established that the Great Sioux Reservation, including ownership of the Black Hills, set aside additional lands as unceded indigenous territory. They uh, were in the areas of South Dakota, Wyoming, Nebraska, and Montana. Basically, the U.S. government would hold authority to punish not only the white settlers who committed crimes against the various tribes, also tribe members who committed crimes would be taken care of by the U.S. government and rather by their own tribal courts, stipulating that the government would abandon forts along the Bozeman Trail, which was designed to encourage a transition to farming and move the indigenous people closer to the white man's way of life. The treaty protected specified rights of third parties, not partaking in negotiations and effectively ended Red Cloud's War. Now, before I go on, do you know what Red Cloud's War is, Jay? No. Okay, you will? No. Well, it was referred to as the Bozeman War or the Powder River War. It was an armed bloody conflict between an alliance of the Lakota, Northern Cheyenne, and Northern Arapaho people against the United States. It took place in Wyoming and Montana territories from 1866 to 1868. Now, the war was fought over control of the Western Powder River country in north-central Wyoming. So the Fort Laramie Treaty provisions did not include an indigenous tribe called the Ponca. In fact, they did not even get an opportunity to object when the American treaty negotiators inadvertently broke a separate treaty with the Ponca people. So in other words, the Ponca people got screwed over by their own people. The U.S. government went ahead. They sold the entire Ponca reservation to the Lakota, Lakota Sioux, who wanted it, and they in return claimed the Ponca land as their own and said, screw you thus settling up a bloody battle between both of them. So then U.S. President Ulysses S. Grant chose to review the situation by unilaterally ordering the Ponca removed by the end of, to the end of Indian Territory. The removal was known as the Ponca Trail of Tears, and it was carried out by a brute force of American men the following year, resulting in over 200 wasted deaths. By agreeing to the treaty, this meant accepting a more stationary life and relying on government-supplied subsidies. Lakota chiefs, such as Sitting Bull and Crazy Horse, rejected the reservation system because of Indian agent corruption. And there was tension between the United States and the Lakota, which escalated in 1874. Now, Colonel George Armstrong Custer was ordered to make an exploration of the Black Hills inside the boundary of the Great Sioux Reservation. He was to map the area, locate a suitable site for a future military post, but during the expedition, you know what they found large deposits of, guys? Gold. Gold. You got her. So word gets around. Everybody's going crazy. An invasion of Americans, miners, all descended upon the Black Hills in direct violation of the Treaty of 1868. The United States government then negotiated with the Lakota to purchase the Black Hills due to medicinal uh, properties Offer price was rejected by the Lakota, 
The climax of the issue occurs in winter of 1875, and then the Commissioner of Indian Affairs issues an ultimatum requiring all Sioux to report to a reservation by January 31st, 1876. Thus, the Battle of Little Bighorn was born, and it was fought on June 25, 1876. It pitted federal U.S. troops led by Lieutenant George Armstrong Custer, previously mentioned. His enemies were a band of Lakota Sioux and Cheyenne warriors. A side note was Custer was unaware of a number of indigenous people fighting under the command of City Bull, who was a medicine man, and Crazy Horse, who was the warrior. And it turned out the indigenous forces outnumbered them by thousands. And this is what became Custer's last stand. By late spring of 1976, more than 10,000 Native Americans gathered in the camp along the Little Bighorn River in defiance of the U.S. War Department order to return to the reservation or risk being attacked. In mid-June 3, the columns of U.S. soldiers lined up against the camp and marched on. The first force of 1,200 Native Americans would turn back the first U.S. column as U.S. soldiers. Five days later, General Alfred Terry ordered Custer's 7th Cavalry to scout overhead for enemy troops near the Lakota camp and decided to pass on rather than wait for reinforcements. He got it kind of ahead of himself. The events were as follows. Midday on June 25th, Custer's 600 men enters the Little Bighorn Valley. Among the Native Americans, word quickly spread of the impending attack. Medicine Chief Sitting Bull rallied the warriors and sought to the safety of women and children first. And then War Chief Crazy Horse gets on his horse, takes his men, and basically heads to head off Custer. He's trying to regroup in his battalion. He's overwhelmed by 3,000 indigenous people. What do you think happens then? Custer dies. He gets killed. Okay? All his men get completely wiped out. It's the most decisive Native American victory and the worst U.S. Army defeat in the Long Plains War at that time. Unfortunately, the demise of Custer leads to outrage among the American people. They take them as wild, bloody, thirsty, evil savages. The end result was the American government increased their efforts to subdue the tribes. It took five years to accomplish this. After the Battle of Little Bighorn, Sitting Bull and its indigenous followers fled to Canada for four years. And they were faced with massive starvation among his people. And here's, here's something crazy. Sitting Bull was actually forced back by the Canadian government at, at that time and then had to surrender in 1883 back to the U.S. government. Sitting Bull was then assigned to the Standing Rock Reservation in South Dakota. Despite his efforts, he tried to maintain considerable influence over his remaining people. But Indian Bureau agents were always there to undermine his influence as they were threatened and they felt of a possible uprising. So Sitting Bull then tries to start a new spiritual revival movement and this began to grow in popularity among the Sioux people in 1890. Agent James McLaughlin sent police to arrest Chief Sitting Bull. However, the indigenous chief, well, basically there's a small skir skirmish, and he ended up getting shot. As for Crazy Horse, he was also arrested. And uh, same thing. He, uh, there was a disruption. He was on the trail with his wife on his horse. He only had a small knife to defend himself, and it is presumably said that a U.S. American soldier stabbed him with a sword. Crazy Horse's last words were, another white man trick, let me go. 
let me go fighting. On this topic, I will be discussing um, the Bill C-11, which, you know, was brought forward by uh, the Canadian government. And it's, uh, well, they, they say it's to protect privacy, but when you look a little bit deeper into things, you, you see that they want to use this act to not only control the freedom of information, but just as it, it like that, that word means control the freedom of information. So we're, we're not only going to like censorship is only one part to worry about. We have our inner information being intercepted by, you know, third and fourth parties. And ironically, if, uh, if you take a look at the bill itself, it, uh, you know, allows for, you know, a government agency to uh, basically see what you're talking about. And um, this Sovereignty Act kind of ties into that, but I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to talk about that right now. Um, C-11, if, um, when and if this, this does go through, completely go through, um, it will be a defining moment for Canada uh, itself as C-11 isn't just for censorship and, you, you know, um, information collecting. This ties into a whole bunch of other bills and to get into the entire bill C-11 would be uh, a subject on its own. It would, it would honestly be a 20 to 30 minute uh, explanation just just to you know figure out um, which bills it ties into. And when I when I what I mean by tying into bills is there are bills that say you know um, taking this freedom of, uh, away is is illegal, and you know Bill C11 kind of reverses that. So uh, that's what I mean by uh, running into other bills, right? You got other bills that say, hey, you know you're allowed to do this and you're not allowed to do that. Well, you know, you, uh, as a politician, all, all you need to do is, you know, uh, bring out a bill that uh, covers that part so that it is not illegal to do. So, yeah, there there is a lot to worry about with, uh, with, the, with Bill C-11. And if you haven't checked it out, I highly encourage you to. We will probably be uh, posting to our social media the link to this document. So our listeners can read exactly what's entailed. But I look at this and I see more of our freedoms being stripped away. We really need this liberal government to get the f*** out of the way. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I know you had a, a subject, Jay. What was that subject if you would like to tell our listeners? Everybody's favorite. Everybody's favorite subject. Um, Everybody loves that. I mean... Who hasn't made the fart noise under the armpit, right? Right? Right. Anyway, the cool thing about sound effects is how they started. Now, they started during the golden age of radio. Now, the golden age of radio was basically, it basically ran from 1930 to 1961. Now, uh, everybody had a radio. Nobody, TV wasn't even around until the 50s. And only the fairly wealthy could afford them. Um, when, but everybody could afford a radio. Now, in these old shows, they were done live. Like, nothing was recorded. Um, they just didn't have that technology in 1930. Um, it was very, uh, recording was, um, very primitive. Um, that wouldn't happen until about 1948 when, 
shows started to be uh, what they called transcribed. But still, back then, they still had to do the sound effects as the radio actors were reading their parts. <laughs> it's how they did it and what they used. Now, like you picture a Western, okay? Can I interject? Yes. Yes, you can. Okay, thanks, Jay. Um, I heard the very first time that they did the sounds of horses' hooves. They sounded like this. Yes. And they did that with their tongue snapping yes. their teeth. Yeah, yes, right? They yes, they did. But they found a better way of doing it. And it's it, it, just picturing it in your head, okay? You've got, you've got your cast, and they're all standing around a microphone, okay? And there's an audience behind them. Now, these people are paying money. It, it sounds really funny to us. But these people, you know, they pay whatever. I, I believe it was like a nickel or something like that. And they would in the audience. And these actors would basically be reading around a microphone. And they applauded when they were told to applaud. And they laughed when they were told to laugh. And um, it was all live. Now, there was a guy that did sound effects for the show. He was there with the actors as well. And if they were if they were uh, riding a horse, he would he would uh, basically make the horse hoof sounds with coconuts on a board by the microphone. Um, if they were doing a a like a uh, a horror show. And they needed somebody to be mutilated or something like that. How they did it was they ha they would use like a pot of spaghetti and put a plunger in it and make a squishing sound. Like it was it was so primitive um, compared to what we have today. Like now, what they just it's all pre-recorded. Some of it's computer generated, and they could just basically push a button. Back in those days, somebody literally had to make that sound. Um, it's like a dog, like um, a dog barking or a wolf howling or anything like that. They Today, we just, like I said, it's computer generated or they push a button and, and away they go. Back in those days, they actually hired actors. There were professional animal sound actors. Like so uh, how uh, would they make the uh, sounds of the boudoir of the what? Bedroom. They didn't. So if someone's willing to kiss, there was none. Of, oh, well, a kiss, they would just kiss. But there was no. If there was no. That shit was not allowed back in those days. Okay. So it was. Um, so it was. It was like radio was censored. Believe it or not, scripts were censored. Right. Um. They would never have. Um. Like the best example of it would be. Uh, um. I don't know if you you would know who George Burns was. Well, George Byrne and his wife, Gracie Allen, uh, kissed all the time, but they were married, so they would just kiss, right. and they would over-elaborate over it, you know what I mean? Like, mwah, you know? It oh, went, gotcha. Okay, but they were a comedy. They were a comedy. Um, gotcha. You know, but you listen to, like, okay, for example, Sam Spade. <laughs> when he was on the radio, um, the radio, you used your imagination, Right. You didn't see anything. It was all in your head. He would basically say, come here, baby, plant one on me or something like that. And they would pause. So you already know what they're doing, right? Like it was, it was all imagination. 
not like it is today. Like, we had to be a lot of imagination. <laughs> well, yeah, like, you know, it was, it, it's just the way they did it. Like, it was so, you couldn't get too detailed. It's like I said before, the first couple to share a bed was the Blintstone. Oh, Fred, Fred, Fred's a dirty that, guy. That's right. Before that, if you watched any old movie, and the woman slept in separate beds. So I'm going to have a complete connotation to Yabba Dabba Do now. <laughs> but the sound effects, it's so cool how they did them. Like, and it's like thunder and lightning. This is kind of funny. Or thunder and rain. Um, okay. uh, they used a copper sheet that was suspended above the microphone. Okay. Cool. And, and they would and they would shake it, and it literally sounded just like thunder. And and rain was usually done with a, um, uh, a like a like a flower pot, or not a flower pot, but a watering you know those watering canisters with the spout on it. And it yeah, and like some, some watering apparatus. And they, right? they would pull, and they would pour that over on onto like a piece of wood or concrete or or something small that they had. And the microphone would be right there, and it would sound like rain. So the, the, the sound stage would look quite quite unique, wouldn't it? You'd have all well, these different. It looked like the hardware store. Well, actually, a lot of the sound stages weren't sound stages at all. Like everybody was there. Like all the actors were there. They had their setup for all the all the sound effects that they would have needed. And right. it was all right there. Exactly. Um, not like now where we have sound rooms. I have okay. things changed. Eh? Oh, well, I mean, I can be sitting in a studio doing whatever, and the man doing the sound effects might not even be on the same floor as me. Back then, they were all in the same room. That wouldn't that wouldn't change until the 50s. What if somebody passed gas? <laughs> it's actually <laughs> happening. There's, it really? actually happened. Yes, Jack Benny show. Um, Mary Livingston farted live. Oh, and what, what happened? Jack Jack Benny dragged that embarrassing moment out for six months. That's that's a long time to live. To he would down for, fart. He would he would forever bring it up. But that was his that was his comedy genius, right? Even mistakes wow. that he made. Even his mistakes that he made. They would bring them up constantly. Next time my wife harasses me for 10 minutes after I pass wind, I'll just say, hey, I love you, honey. Yeah, it was, um, there was a, a really good um, sound effect. Um, anybody, like Gunsmoke, this is my favorite. Um, the original Matt Dillon was William Conrad on the radio before it even was a thought to be on TV. Now, he thought that Matt Dillon's gun sounded windy. It, 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 you know, the sound just, the Marshall should sound better. So what he did is he lived in a, in a, a part of uh, California that had a canyon basically in his backyard, and it was in a, a natural sound barrier. So what he did is he started um, firing different calibers of weapons and recording the sound. And the sound that became famous for Matt Dillon was a single-action army 45. And that is what what you hear in the old radio shows. Actually, that sound was used for 25 years. I never would have guessed that. Yeah. I mean, 
it was it, it's, it's just so, like if you listen to Gunsmoke, even the even the TV show, when Matt Dillon fires his gun, it's louder than everybody else's gun, even though they're firing the same type of weapon. No, pay attention to that. But yeah, I mean, sound effects, the the way they've uh, they've changed, it, it, it's just amazing. And a lot of the sound effects that are recorded today are very, very, very old. We still use them today because they just sound good. Yeah, no kidding, right? You know, well, and, that, uh, uh, that was extremely educational, Jay. Oh, I'm, I'm, like, I'm an educational kind of guy. We know you are. <laughs> so, so we got some more things to talk about, guys. Uh, something that was happening during the pandemic was a thing that was uh, horrible for women. And I got to focus on women because the men were doing most of it. It was called gaslighting. You know anything about that, Will? <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, there's, you know, a, a lot of people that, um, that, uh, do it to other people to, you know, make them feel like they're at fault. And it's a, it's a form of brainwashing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go into a little bit of mud here, guys, and then we'll take another break. If, uh, you are made to question whether your version of reality ever happened, uh, if your partner refers to validate your feelings, basically gaslighting is a form of psychological abuse where the abuser makes someone question their sanity, reality, and experiences. Now, the term was derived from the eerie 1940 psycho thriller Gaslight. Jay, do you want to tell our freaks about that? Um, yeah, actually, uh, it was a great movie. If you don't like black and white movies, still give it a watch. It, uh, Ingrid Bergman, and I can't remember the other guy, the guy's name. Charles Boyer. Charles Boyer. Um, they were back in, back when they made this movie, they were super stars. Like they were Hollywood heavyweights. Um, he, he what, what the movie was about? How did the term gaslight come? Well, he was trying to drive his, his wife mad to have her institutionalized. So what he started doing is he started um, undermining her um, reality, basically. Like, uh, if, uh, say, um, the light was on, he would say that, he, that you, what are you talking about? You turned it off, I turned it on. Um, just little, subtle things to make her think that she was going crazy. Exactly. That, you know, um, it's a very good movie. Um I, I, I've watched it uh, twice. Um, it's been a long time, but it's very good. If you if you don't quite understand gaslighting, even after what you have to say, watch the movie. It'll give you a, uh, it'll give you a good idea. Well, I, I know you being the 1940s guru uh, from the old black and white movies, you could add to that. So I let you have the stage, my friend. So. Um, yeah, but I don't want to take from you because you've really read more into this topic than I even know about. So more than you can learn from a movie, but it gives you a nice okay. touch base. So it's uh, definitely possible for someone to be gaslighting you without even realizing it and without ill intention. The problem is the gaslighter is not willing to take accountability and apologize. So if you're dating someone who is continuously finding new ways to manipulate you, break you down, or make you question your reality, ladies, you could be gaslit. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't happen to men. It does. But I would say better than 90% happen to women. And sad of this to know, 
that most of this gaslighting occurred during two years of this pandemic because people were home and men were controlling their wives by doing this. Man, so, could interject, but uh, I would say it's more around a 60-40%, man. There's, there's a lot of men out there that are, uh, and, and I mean, um, gaslighting is a form of abuse, right, because it's brainwashing, but there's a lot of men out there that uh, experience that on a day-to-day basis. I, uh, I know one of them, um, they're a good friend of mine, a really good friend of mine, but it, um, it, it, it happens to everybody, right? Okay, well, I stand corrected, and my apologies, Will. Yeah, no I, I'm just, I base it on what research I got, but yes, you're probably right. Uh, these aggressions, they start with small, seemingly insignificant incidents as, you know, the gaslighting slowly shifts to a power balance in the household. And if this person is telling you something you know is not true, but they're able to say it with a straight face as though it's a fact, and it's gaslighting. And they trivialize people's feelings, and they make the needs and feelings of their victims seem unimportant, often to the point that their partners believe it to be true. They deny, deny, deny. This means even though they need to be doing something, they will deny they never did it. Now, they weaponize the people closest to you. And this occurs when the gaslighter isolates their partner from an established support network, such as family, friends, brothers, and sisters. The reason for this is the person being abused doesn't have as many opportunities to check out their thoughts and feelings and reality against others they trust. The gaslighter will make attempts to sway their partner's opinion on friends and family as well. Basically, they they plant seeds of doubt about the person's self-worth. And gaslighters often prey on the self-esteem of their partners, believing they will be cherished many times after the fact, and then they twist the narrative on the way that they see themselves. So for the gaslighter, the abusing is the goal to convince the partner that what they're claiming is true, and this way they get control over the partner, and they never have to take responsibility for their actions. Okay, guys, so they exhibit signs of narcissism, and it will never be their fault. They will put constant pressure on their victim, uh, that they're wrong and the gaslighter is always right. They have baggage they haven't worked through yet. These people would rather manipulate or throw their partner under the bus. They will not take ownership or explore their own negative emotions. The gaslighter usually has an unsoiled past that they have not confronted or they prove to be blaming someone else, always blaming someone else. They will immediately start a fight because a problem or hurt their partner's feelings. And... If you've had one or two many arguments feeling justified in your anger and walked away feeling like you were to blame, then your partner actually might be gaslighting you. Now, here's the almighty question. How do you deal with it? Well, I'm going to tell you guys. Tell the person, you are gaslighting me. Come out and say it. Uh, And then say, I don't like the way you make me feel. This is only if you find yourself with someone who is completely incapable of self-reflection, communication, or making the necessary change to improve themselves. Start taping their conversations with your cell phone and how they treat you. I'll tell you why you do this. Because when your partner denies it, they said something to you, you can point it to your evidence and quite on the contrary, so you catch them red-handed. And then at the end, consider a trained therapist in relationship counseling, because that's what it should eventually lead to. Yeah. Now, 
windy. How, however, there, there, I, I'm not sure if you heard of this, this female. I, I don't remember her TikTok. I'll find it uh, for you guys. But there's a female now going around. Uh, she's, she's I'm, I would say a middle-aged woman. She's going around saying that uh, when, when men uh, record women or when uh, women record men, it, it's a form of uh, gaslighting because... Um, you, you you can convince the other person that uh, they're 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 doing something wrong when they really aren't. But I don't I don't agree with the the the, the female on TikTok, man. Because like sometimes showing the other person like what you're seeing is the only way to solve things, right? Well, you have to have evidence to back it up. Right. You have to catch you have to catch the gaslighter red-handed. Well, yeah. um, you know what do you think about it, Jay? Well. You know, you, you brought up something now, and that, that I, yes, recording is a great idea. Um, I don't think it would be a really shit-hot idea if not only are you being gaslit, but if you're in a abusive relationship, that just might not be the way to go. Um, and, what, and what do you suggest? Well, first first of all, if... if uh, I, I know it's easy. It's easier. It's easy for me to say because I'm not in an abusive relationship. But if you are in a, an abusive relationship, um, and you know damn well that this shit's going on, get out. Okay, um, just get the hell out of it. Um, there, there is help. Seek out that help. Um, and yes, and, and the ladies out there and men need to know that if they are, you know, the first, the very yeah. first, the very first step. Call domestic violence agency hotline of that sort. That's your very, very first step. Okay. The second step is get to some place safe where you can trust someone that's obviously not going to turn you in back into the gaslighter. That's extremely important. And yes, Jay, it might be time to break up if you find that your partner is not responding to you. They're manipulating you. They become aggressive. Violent, belittling you, belittling you, calling you names, that sort of thing. So I agree a hundred percent. I just the whole point of this was I just want to make sure that some people out there can get the help that they need, and they realize that it's not a lost cause. You, there is help for you guys. So that's all I really need to say. Well, the thing is, Brian and Will, um, the, the thing that's really coming to light, and it's kind of a good thing. It is. It, it's actually a good thing. Um, it's not just women now. Okay, men are popping up and saying, "Look, you know, I've been abused for years." But if I said anything, and that was true, there's hope. There really is. Like for everybody now, it's not like it was 15 years ago. Exactly. So um, get out of it. Like if you are, if you are in a, in, if you are, and my feeling is, is if you think you're getting, if you're being gaslit. And you're in a whether it's a, a verbal verbally abusive relationship or um, a, a physical relationship, and you decide you want to record the conversation, um, maybe share it with a loved one. Hey, you know Jay, what I mean? Would you be able to give give some advice then on uh, on on both the women and, and and the men that are trying to leave these situations but don't have the money to do so? Well, that's another one, right? Like, I'm no doctor. Yeah. I, I am just a guy, like everybody else. I've been in shitty situations, shitty relationships. 
Um, you know, like everybody else. But it's just there's more avenues now. There are places you can go. You're going shopping. You're you're going you're you're going shopping with friends. You know, and your significant others not with you. There are places you can go and talk to people. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you, Rope. Thank you, guys. And with that note, we'll be back in a minute with another topic from our sound man, Will. So stay tuned. And we're back. So that that was a very uh, informative subject, Brian. Um, I, I feel more people need to learn the definition of gaslighting because, um, you know, some some people just, you know, uh, sit on some subjects and they're like, man, I can't explain what's going on. I know there's a word. And yeah, that's the word. But um, yeah, thank you for that, Brian. Uh, I'm, I'm now going to go into um, a topic. Now, topic's going to involve the Sovereignty Act. Now, I said on the, on the last subject that the Bill C-11 ties into the Sovereignty Act. And the reason why I say this is because in the Sovereignty Act, and I quote, that the Sovereignty Act can be used to suspend or modify the application or operation of all part of an enactment subject to the terms and conditions that the Lieutenant Governor in Council may prescribe or specify or set out provisions that apply in addition to or instead of any provision of an enactment, which means that now, once everything is in motion, this means they can literally go into anything and and rearrange it to to fit their legality stance, right? So, for example, you know, they can go into any bill or any part of, um, from what I'm understanding, the uh, Charter Rights, so, so like the Charter of Freedom Rights. But this this is going to be a huge issue because people are only concentrating on Bill C-11, uh, but uh, they don't understand that uh, the Sovereignty Act is going to coincide with uh, Bill C-11. And they, like, they, they could do some good with this, yes. However... In the documentation that I'm currently looking at, that again I can uh, we can post on uh, Highway Freaks social media, it literally says here that they can suspend and mod or modify anything they want, and this has to go through. Uh, by the way, for anyone who doesn't know, this has to go through um, an assembly, which by the way is made up of the same people who are who like um, you know ask um, the the quote-unquote assembly, if it's okay. So uh, once the assembly uh, gives it to go ahead, you know, it's, it's good to go. But uh, this, is, this is a huge issue with, with a lot of people. And uh, you can go onto YouTube and, well, if you really want to learn more about this, you can search up Daniel Smith, Alberta Sovereignty Act, and listen to her, her whole speech. If, if that doesn't um, disturb you, I don't know what will she uh you, you know you can see in that um in the course of that conversation exactly um what they're admitting to uh and you know so on and so forth so not only can now can they now gain your personal information and sell it to people kind of like what facebook already does but the sovereignty act allows them to change anything they want so it's 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 a recipe for um, disaster, if you will. So we lost another great pop star. Uh, Jay, can you fill us in a little bit more on that? 
Uh, yes, and I'm very embarrassed about this because I had no idea who the hell she was. Um, um, Irene Kara. Uh, now this woman was uh, had a beautiful voice. She's a beautiful. She was a beautiful woman. She wrote the song and wrote and sung the song for Flashdance. Um, but before that, before that, oh, 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 I remember oh, that. Oh, 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 yeah. I got, well, I got, I got, I got my hand up. What teenage guy doesn't remember <laughs> Jennifer, Jennifer Beals, like just draped over that chair, and the the, the water just comes down. She's in a silhouette. Oh, <laughs> well, I was I was a saint when I was uh, when I was ten, so I didn't have such thoughts. Oh, okay. Oh, what? You're not going to tell me to go to hell, you lying bastard? <laughs> 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 they got you on that one. They got you on that one, man. This, uh, no, you know, well, well, I would, I would recommend you watch that movie if you haven't watched it. Oh, I have, over and over and over again. <laughs> you know. Oh, okay. All right. And I, I got to say, because when you said Irene Karib passed away, what, what is it? What, what did I say? Who the hell is Irene Karib? Right. Um, and I'll get to why I didn't know who she was. Um, now, she has been in acting and dancing and singing. She actually won a contest on The Tonight Show, uh, I believe, in 
um, if you would like to look at it, is uh, IreneCara.com. Um, she worked for her labels were, oh, she had five, I believe five different record labels that she worked with. Um, Captain, Electra, RSO, um, Epic. She was with Epic Records. Um, I mean, she had a wonderful voice. And it's just, it's just sad that she passed away. All the, all the, uh, all the uh, actors are slowly fading away. Here's the shocking part, though, Jake. I was listening on the radio the other day, and this is, I don't know, I don't even understand this. She was only worth $2 million when she died. Well, you know, I do believe that had a lot to do with her being blacklisted. Um, and that, that's, that's all it was for you, you know. You get screwed over by somebody and you stand up and fight. And Hollywood basically punishes you for fighting. Right? I mean, right? You know, and, um, you know, it's, uh, she, but I mean, she, she was happy. Um, she lived in Florida. You know, you were just, you would think that with that kind of a longevity, longevity of a career, that, you know, yeah. my, only, my yeah. only thought is mismanagement. Mismanagement. That's the well, thought that comes to my mind. Well, maybe, maybe mismanagement, but, you know, um, uh, is there really, um, is there really a lot of, is there millions and millions of dollars to be made on Broadway? Like, really? Um, I think not in the day and age, maybe, but maybe back then, I, no. You know, I don't, I don't know, um, there's a lot of actors, you know, that make their fortune in Hollywood, kind of retire to Broadway or off-Broadway shows to keep themselves active. They don't do it for the money. They do it to keep themselves active. Now, I may be wrong. I may, I may be wrong. But, you know, it, it, it's just, in a, it's just uh, something that I've, I've seen. I've never heard of, a, of a, a Broadway actor getting paid $100 million to do a Broadway show. Right? You know? Oh. Um, and there you go. Maybe she just Maybe she just did it for the enjoyment and not really the money. Like, it's, it's hard to say. Who knows? One thing I'm going to uh, throw in here, I'm going to throw this in just now, just because I thought of it off the top of my head. If any of our freaks out there would like Jane to do a biography on anybody that has passed away, he would be more than happy to do that, wouldn't you, Jane? You're hard to be friends with. <laughs> wouldn't you, Jane? See, you even made me swear. You made me swear. What did you say? First it's chick flicks in six years, and now I'm yep. taking requests. Yes, that's right. You're becoming Mr. Popular J-Man, you know? All, that's that's right. all in fun. That's all in fun, folks. It's all in fun. It's absolute absolute biography that you would like me to do. Um, absolutely. Throw it my way. I might actually learn something. Um, you know what they say. If you don't learn something every day, you become healthy. <laughs> I learn something every day, man. I don't know. Okay. That was enlightening. Okay. But that's the best way. Um, send me a real Jay. Now, yeah, and make sure you give them your email as well, Jay. Okay. I will spell it out for you. It's letter J. Patrick Moore 70 at gmail.com. Perfect. Now, retaliation for that little snide comment you just made. I'm going to put you in your place 
because the guru, neurologist, is in the house, baby. Oh, All right. So, I don't know if a lot of you freaks out there know, but I study the study of uh, numerology, and um, I really actually live by it as well. Um, I'm a nine, and I'm going to blow your mind here. Will is also a nine, so and I'm going to tell you what that's about. But Jay, my I'm friend... I'm not going to say what I was going to say, then. No, no kidding. Because I don't uh, want. I don't want to. In, I don't want to. In, no, will. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 Actually, actually, before we came on the podcast, my mom phoned me, and I, and I, you know, I said, I said, Mom, you remember you're a nine? She goes, No, Brian, I don't. And I said, I said, Yeah, you do. So I started reading it out to her, and she goes, She goes, Damn, that's me. I said, yeah, that's me and that's you, and that's why we can't live together for two weeks, because we'll kill each other, and she laughed. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, and that's probably why Will and I clash creatively sometimes uh, during the uh, editing of the podcast. Right, Will? I mean, we don't clash too much. I I, I record, and uh, I, I edit. You try to tell me, hey, this is a good idea, and I'm like, eh, might be or might not be. <laughs> There's that little nine theory come in. But anyway, I want to put Jay in his place because we are going to absolutely blow his mind. Okay, Jay, you are the adventurer. Jeez, go figure. Um, You love freedom and you love adventure. Okay? You love variety. It might take a different route every time to work you stay because you get bored. Hmm. Have you ever done that, Jay? No, don't answer that. Okay, escape is the name of the five games. Eight through sex, food, drugs, rock and roll, alcohol, travel, or overwork. Jeez, am I am I hitting the nail on the head of with the hammer, Jay? Maybe a little bit. It's all about your senses, Jay. Man, things might taste right. They need to smell good. They need to look good, a pleasing, and they're and if they aren't, you're not happy. You know what, Jay? You also you also need to look good when you get up in the morning. Jay, you probably go no, look at the no, mirror. Actually, go, actually, no. Actually, no. Oh. No, I'm completely opposite. I don't give a shit about my mirror. Okay. All right. All I right. Really so we'll, we'll, we'll give we'll give you one there. All right. You're a natural detective. You need to find out what happens. Okay. Very you don't like true being, you don't like being in the dark. As in what way? In the dark and like being in the dark on things. Like you don't be oh, like okay. left out of the okay. lurch, right? Okay. okay. You love holidays. You love Thanksgiving, Christmas. I don't know about Hanukkah. I don't think you're Jewish. But anything that you can find on the calendar as a holiday, you'll celebrate it. Yeah. I like my holiday. Okay. All right. You're also a natural guesser. And um, you would rather give the perfect gift than receive it. Okay. If you, Jay, receive the thank you note, you would say thank you for the thank you note. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, actually, no, I would um, Okay. Um, because my, no, it's because my sense of humor wouldn't let me. Um, oh, okay. All right, so I would, I would okay. thank them. I would thank them, but it would be in a hilarious way. Okay, so we're going to give you two on that, okay? Carrying on, okay? When it comes to a career, fives make good photojournalists, pilots, flight attendants, travel agents, tour guides, and get this, truck drivers. If the five does not feel life is their own, they become champion complainers, almost free Madonna like. <laughs> oh God, man! Now that may have been 
just went through. I think the arrow just yeah. went through, yeah. and it wasn't your heart. I think it was your ass. Anyway, there's a yeah. there's a there's a wild side though to you, you five men. You'd rather be dead than bored. Okay, you, if you're a gambler, it might not be at the crap table, but you take chances in life, buddy. Okay, they are genuinely compassionate people. You can escape in books if you want, but if I yell at you, you don't listen to me. You tune me out. The five is a restless being and needs to always keep moving. Often fives will leave a marriage and regret years later that it was the best one they ever had. And people with a five life path have to actually live their lives, have fun, and experience the variety of life and what it has to offer. Now that I've done that, I'm not done yet. I got to plug into your attitude. I got to plug into your attitude, mister. Because you're a big seven, buddy. You're a big seven. And you don't always get to know what, you know, basically people, don't, they don't get to know what you're thinking at times. They ask you direct questions, but you keep it to yourself. They reveal themselves slowly to the person. So in other words, when, when I first met you, you were an open book. You eventually revealed yourself to me as our friendship carried on. And that's true. Okay? Yes. You can also shut down and make basically someone feel extremely uncomfortable, but the joke is on them because you are the ultimate observer and you don't miss a freaking thing. That's, 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 so, that's so now the jury has come back with a verdict. Was I right or was I wrong? Um, you're pretty damn spot on. Um, it, it, it's really <laughs> weird because, you know, people, it's really, it's really funny. I've had people um, tell me that I'm very unapproachable. I'm probably one of the most easiest free people to come and talk to. Um, so, but I concentrate now, hard. So now the freaks and geeks are probably saying, how the hell did Brian figure that out? Brian didn't figure it out. Okay, Brian actually bought a book by Glennis McCants. She's on my Facebook. She's my numbers lady. And I'm telling you, you read this book, and if you're having a problem with someone at work, and you just can't figure them out, I guarantee you this. Actually, at this moment, you will be able to actually understand them and be able to uh, actually uh, understand where they're coming from by looking at this book. You can do your dog. You can do their numbers as you know their correct birth dates, okay? But you can do that. You can do your address. You can do your job. I live by this book. I really do. Okay, now, Will, I'm going to do your number, okay? But keep in mind, Will, your number is also my number, okay? Are you yeah. ready? Are you, hang are you hanging on by the edge of your seat, Will? Sure. Okay, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, okay. All right. Oh, just, just to backtrack, the way that I figured that out is I found out your birth dates and I broke it down to a single digit. And then when you look in the book, it tells you exactly what that is. And that was not derived from Glennis McCann. She certainly, like, you know, she, it's in her book, but it was actually originated 2,500 years ago by a Greek philosopher, Pythagoras. Yeah, it, it, just, it, 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 don't you uh, find that out by like adding numbers and then and then dividing them or something? No, you have to break it down to single digit. You just add, you got the, the month, the day, the year, 
and then you break it down to a single digit, and that gives you your life path number. And just with J, with the attitude number, I just broke it down by the day and the month, and that's how yeah. you get your attitude. Okay. So I just want to go on the night, and then we'll get into the book reading. Um, uh, this is going to be interesting. This is really going to be interesting. Because first of all, Will, you and I are the most evolved in all of numerology. Isn't that cool? Okay. Yeah, really cool. We, we contain all the qualities of all the numbers. Okay. We have a strong inclination to believe in something, and we usually follow that path. We don't deviate from it. Okay. We pursue it with tremendous ambition and drive. Nobody will stop us. Okay. Um, now, here's one that I get all the time, all the time. People tend to be jealous of us and resentful of us. Okay. But we actually are competing with no one but ourselves. Okay? It's really upsetting to us to work hard for something and then it doesn't come to fruition. It, it, it's, uh, I can give you lots of examples about that. I'm sure you can too. Okay? Yeah. Uh, we have an authentic regard for humanity. We are true humanitarians. We will literally give the shirt off our backs. I know you're that type of guy and you know I'm that type of guy. So, yeah. um, you know, absolutely. When we feel or when we fail, rather, we feel that we have failed everyone. We don't just feel that, you know, we failed. We, we feel that we failed the world, okay? Um, we have family issues. Uh, ding, 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 ding here. Holy God. Uh, we also need to go easy on ourselves and not take life so hard. We're excellent at taking care of other people's problems except our own. Are we getting nails on with the hammer uh, here, buddy? Not... Not really, because, I mean, I tend to follow, like, I have a lot of um, the older generation coming up to me for advice, and <clears throat> I tend to follow uh, the advice I give, and, you know, I, I, I truly believe, um, you know, in school, you you, you, t you um, go through the lessons to take the test, and in life, you take the test to learn the lesson, and I just feel like, uh, like I, I don't feel like I'm better than, me, than ever, anybody else, I just feel like, there's certain tests that people have taken that that they haven't really and it hasn't clicked okay. in, right? So like Okay, hold the fort. Hold the fort. Well, he needs to let your guard down and ask for a hug or kiss, buddy. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't need that. Okay, and Will, you don't need to be the center of attention, okay? But other people seem to think you're always there. And things work out for the nine always. <laughs> you know, we're generally not rude to people in authority. That's true. And no matter what we set our minds to do, okay, we will always pull it off. And I've seen that you hundreds of times. Yeah, okay? <laughs> um, I've seen that yeah. you as well. Thank you. Um, and, you know, we're very hard on ourselves. Uh, we need to lighten up and forgive ourselves for just being a human being. Okay? Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're constantly accused of being patronizing. And we don't know everything, Will, but others will feel that, well, you guys know everything. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not my fault if everyone else is stupid. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, so okay. if we do something good, people will follow and emulate our actions. But if we screw up, people always follow our mistakes. <laughs> That's the funny part. Okay. Now, we make oh, amazing boy. teachers. We make great school counselors. We make excellent therapists. We're fantastic with children, and we actually can understand them better than adults can, okay? So we are true. great doctors, nurses, social workers. We do well in lectures, art, artists, illustrators, podcasting. Oh, really? 
writers, musicians, <laughs> and actors. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So now the jury has come back with the verdict, and the verdict is, is Brian and Will the same reality, the same characteristic, but it's same nine? Um, <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> Damn. I rest my case. Mic dropped on floor. Elvis has left the building. Yeah, and and you you know I I uh, I do notice a lot of similarities in, in our personalities. Um, uh, and you know it's 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 kind of funny. Like, I mean, some people are well. See, I almost believe that. You know, in order to get a good sense of not just who you are, but what the world is in itself and people, you know, the the people you hang around, you you really need to understand both. Um, I know some are like, well, this is better than that, and I I mean, I I, I look at stuff and I'm like, oh shit, okay, <laughs> it's it's actually like it it resembles me, and I I, I guess that resembles both of us. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So I have a, now that you've told us how wonderful you and Will are and how much I suck, um, tell us how a person can figure out their number. Well, like I said, you, uh, you you have to break it down to a single digit to be the le- for the life path. And I, reiter- I reiterated that long ago if you would clean the corn out of your ears. Um, and uh, what my question is, how do they break the number down? Well, that's not that's the theory. That's how it works. You take the you were born. I know the I know the theory, right? Somebody wants to figure out what the number they are, okay, by their right. birthday. Okay. How do they so figure it out? How do they do the math, Brian? How do they? Okay. So let's take let's take an example. Let's just say someone was born October first, nineteen sixty-five. Okay, right. so you would take October being the tenth month, one plus zero. Then you would take the first plus one. Then you would take 1965 plus one plus nine plus six plus five. Then you would break it down to a single digit. Okay, so let's say hypothetically, if you had that together, what's that come to, Jay? I don't know. I don't have a calculator. <laughs> okay, so let's just say hypothetically it comes to 32. All right. So then you would add three plus two is five. That's your life path number. That then ah, you go, go to the chart. And that's how you find your personality and all the traits and characteristics. And numbers do not lie, gentlemen. They are very dead accurate. Uh, now, astrology is true, and it, it does have a very close comparison to numerology. But if I was to pick my horoscope one day, and I was to look at numerology, I'd take numerology 99% over astrology any day of the week. Yeah, see, and I'm uh, I'm different than you. Like when 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 I wake up, um, my my horoscope is almost never wrong, and it's scary. It's it's extremely scary how 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 uh, insanely correct it is. I mean, I might have um um like a really good app or something, but I don't know. I always notice a, a, a like like a, a I always use astrology to to move uh uh, forward with things when, when, when I didn't know the answer to it, like, exactly. and, 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 and like numerology is amazing to figure out, you know, um, your significant other's personality and, you know, but I, I, I also feel like this is bordering on the line of 
people, you know, uh, measuring their relationship before they actually get to know the person, which, I mean, I don't, I don't believe in. Uh, I, I, I believe in getting to know them and then, uh, you, you know, doing did I, did I, numerology. But did I not change your opinion on numerology after I just told you how close you and I resemble each other? Yeah, I, well, I, like I said, I, I, I kind of believe in both, but, um, yeah. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong. And with that, we're going to take our final break. Well, this as usual, uh, we call our visits here on Highway Freaks, and visit number 11 has just been so original and uh, so unforgettable. And speaking of unforgettable, um, we've been going through a book that I wrote based on a character, a real person that I met uh, well over three decades ago, uh, a guy named Jasper Stevenson, and this is his life. So as I'm telling you through the chapters, just imagine, this is Jasper's, uh, Jasper's life, and uh, this is just going to carry on here to Chapter 4. Okay, so it's called A Makeshift drive through That's the name of the chapter. Here we go. It happened on a Saturday afternoon, and my mom and dad had taken Chuck and me to London to do some shopping for school supplies. Both of us would be sitting in the back seat as normal on this trip. Now, as I recall, it was later in the afternoon when we had just left the shopping mall and we were on our way home. Earlier on, my dad had decided to take us out for supper as a treat for being good kids. So we stopped at a nearby McDonald's, which was always a real nice surprise for us. Ten-year-old kids have always been curious about driving dad's car, right? Yep, even me. So mom and dad go into the restaurant together to place our order, as there was no such thing as a drive-through windshield back then. My dad parked his Valiant in front of the building on a steep incline from the curb to the restaurant. He had realized it was an abrupt place to park, so he put his emergency brake on just to be safe. That was kind of the vehicle where you pull the black handle all the way out and just give it a twist to hold the car in place. I was a mischievous and curious child, so I decided to climb in the front area of the driver's seat. I pretended I was a race car driver. My brother, Chuck, was taking a nap in the back seat, unaware of what was truly going on. I grabbed the steering wheel and twisted it to the left and right at the same time, making those race car noises with my voice. A Valiant in that era hadn't been engineered with a locked steering wheel, so I just grabbed the gear shift and started shifting back and forth, plus the car was sitting in neutral. At that moment, I grabbed on the long rod beside the steering wheel. I pulled on it and gave it a little twist, followed by the car rolling off the incline in reverse. It started very slow, but it started picking up speed. Because of my actions, I was quite frightened by what was happening. My mom strolled out of McDonald's with bags of food and pop in her arms and saw what was taking place. She started screaming uncontrollably with bags of food and cups of coke are seen hurling in the air. My mother was running at top speed trying to stop the car by opening the driver's door, which was locked, of course. Consequently, she opened the back door behind the driver's seat, all the while yelling and swearing at me to put my goddamn foot on the brake. However, she had neglected in her panic to shut the door she opened and didn't know what the brake was, so my frustrated and angry mother crawled over the seat while the car rolled back even faster. Suddenly, my mom tossed me over to the passenger seat like I was a rag doll, slamming her foot on the brake right beside a power pole that was across from the parking lot. The backseat driver's door caught the pole, shearing it off, falling onto the pavement beside her car. This was followed by my dad, who 
witnessed the accident, walked out of the McDonald's nonchalantly, walked up to the badly dented and rented car door, picked it up, and placed it on the side rear frame where it originally was. Then he went to the trunk, opened it, grabbed some rope, and tied it back on, motioning me to get back in the seat. Subsequent, <laughs> what has just happened, my, my dad looked me in the eye and said this, Jazz, I want you to put both your arms over the windows, right here, okay, son? You're going to hold this very tight so it doesn't fall back onto the road, because we're driving back to our house, son. If for any reason it falls onto the road, he questions, you'll get a very sore ass when we get home. You understand me, boy? Oh, but I did. I got the message quite clearly, in fact, just as I started crying out of control. As for that door, well, it didn't one iota in that very chilling one hour as we made our way back home. Looking back on that now, the punishment I was given in that circumstance was extremely out of the ordinary, right? I mean, I wasn't spanked, grounded, or even yelled at. The absolute fear of knowing that if I let go of that car door on that highway that day, the consequence to receive a strict fear spanking was too much for my little trauma in my mind that could handle at that point. You may not agree with me, but let the punishment fit the crime. Smart parenting, Dad, is what I think. Speaking of discipline, my mother had an unusual way of dealing with my brother and I when we were bad. Probably wasn't right, but if Chuck got into trouble for something, she would hit him with the palm of her hand. And I started laughing about it, which I usually did, and was slapped for ridiculing my brother. I'm not saying it was right, but it was our way of their way of keeping us in line daily. I really can't say I was deprived growing up either, as far as my parents spending quality time with us. My mom and dad were always taking time off work to be with us in the evenings or weekends. It was usually the first Saturday in July that we watched the goofy and dramatic bathtub races down at Southside Park. As for vacations, they involved us in these as well as we traveled to the U.S. Hey, stopped by Nashville, Tennessee, and saw the Grand Ole Opry. The best highlight of that trip was we had a, on rare occasion to see Elvis Presley's solid gold Cadillac at the Opryland Museum. We also camped in Wheeling, West Virginia, oh, by the way, by the Ohio River. Two very important U.S. cases dominated the news that year with Roe versus Wade, which made abortion news a U.S. constitutional right. Women all over rejoiced that it was their choice. If they wanted to have a baby brought into this world or not. As for abortion in Canada, Dr. Henry Morgenthaler was found not guilty in his conviction of performing abortions by a Canadian court jury. It was a real victory of the women's lip movement which started in 1960. The Watergate scandal, there those hearings started with U.S. president stuck thick in the middle of it so people were glued to their TVs after their nightly news. I'm sure you heard the adage, I'm not a crook. Japanese car manufacturers started making smaller, fuel-efficient cars, which impacted North America like never before. It was also important to note the peace the Paris Peace Accords were signed too. The United States had ended their involvement in the Vietnam War on January 27, 1973. It was signed between them, South and North, North Vietnam, along with the Viet Cong. Here in Canada, work started on the construction of a Canadian landmark, the CN Tower, Canadian National Tower. This was also the railway that built the tower and eventually became the world's ninth tallest freestanding structure. It was a 1,815-foot concrete communications and observation marble, which was located in downtown Toronto. Secretariat became the first racehorse since citation in 1948 to win the Triple Crown after placing first in the Belmont Stakes on June 9th of the same year. 
Pride Week 1973 was created as a national LGBT rights movement in Canada. This unique event took place from August 19th to 19th, August 26th, which included various parades in Canadian cities such as Vancouver, Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, Saskatoon, and Winnipeg. This rally for gay rights occurred with art festivals, dancing, picnics, and documentary screening in various rallies. One important thing was due to religious scrutiny and controversy, this was just a one-off event until the real LGBT annual Pride Week was established. Looking back to vacations, I sure can't forget Cedar Point in Sandusky, Ohio, and the fun we had at Disney World in Florida. My funniest memory there was that my brother Chuck pissed his pants on the roller coaster ride Space Mountain. My dad had him laughing so hard for not wanting to hit things that we sped by on the rails. I tried to save further embarrassment to my brother Chuck, so he blamed peeing his pants on himself because that was the type of father he was. Closer to home, we attended the demolition derby, the fireworks, and the Stockwood Fair every August of each year. We went to Toronto, participating in such activities as swimming in Lake Ontario, visiting the CN Tower. Not only that, we were even at a Toronto Maple Leafs hockey game at the old Maple Leaf Gardens. Let's reminisce about our Christmases for a moment. We always went to my grandpa and grandma Biddle's house in Ingersoll for brunch. All my young cousins, aunts, and uncles from my mom's side of her family were there to open presents to share their lives with us. After that, we scooted off to my grandma Stevenson's house for supper. Again, all my cousins and aunts and uncles from my dad's side of the family attended. There was always a 100% invite invitation for both sides of the family involved. Chuck and I regularly received plenty of clothes and toys when we were younger, too. It's all these childhood adventures that have made me a complete, well-rounded person. I'm sure as kids, and certainly teenagers, all of you reading this, have received some sort of allowance for doing chores, or maybe just cleaning your room. My brother Chuck and I got $5 a week for our cleaning services. Initially, we cleaned our, bat- our bedrooms, vacuumed the whole house, did the dishes, cleaned the bathroom, cut the lawn, weeded those godforsaken flower beds, cleaned out the cat litter, picked up dog crap, hosed down the driveway, the occasional dusting of furniture. Did I forget shoveling that long, laborious driveway in the winter as well? I'm sure glad we all cut those chores in half, right? Each brother did his equal share, but mostly it was me doing 100% of the work most of the time. Two doors from our house was the French-Canadian family, the Hobsons, who had one son and three daughters. Their only son, Len, became my best friend at the time, and his dad was a real joker who worked at the Firestone plant. The Hobsons were nice people, but a bit peculiar. By that, I mean it seemed like Len always came over to my house to hang around and do stuff with Chuck and me. On the other hand, I came to reciprocate the visiting, going to Len's house rarely happened. Oh, the odd time we had to play pool in his basement when his mom, Dinah, was working at Woco at the Blanford Mall. He had a five-foot pool, but disappointingly, we were rarely able to enjoy it. We did learn our first French sentence from Len's dad, Barry, though, and it was quite suggestive. Alas, it was, voulez voulez chez avec moi, which, of course, is translated to, will you go to bed with me, in French. Speaking of his dad being the court jester, I'll never forget one night when Len's mom asked his dad what was for supper. He replied to her, Bright kids and dandelions? Yeah, he was a funny guy. However, it was my brother and my best friend Len who later became real stoners. Furthermore, he didn't need to clean the house, so he was quite happily donated his allowance to me. It's quite apparent when Chuck was making his money, and I know it was more than $5 a week. Things were weird at times when Len was around Chuck, but they often ganged up on me. One time, Len played a cruel trick on me, and of course Chuck was in on the gag. Len had taken a large dump of shit in the pizza box and presented it to me as a gift one evening when my parents were working. He knew I liked pizza delight, so he presented me this box, knowing I liked food so much at the time. 
when he opened the box for me, I was horrified to see crap lying in it because he chased me all over the top floor of my house and out the front door. I think Chuck was stoned, so stoned, he enjoyed great laughs at me being tormented with this atrocity. The next minute, I started outside on, into the rain in my socks, running all the way down the block with Len chasing me with that box of shit. He never caught me with it, but he thought it was freaking hilarious. I was the third wheel around together because I sure wasn't a pot smoker back then. In addition to that, Len had even introduced Chuck to his pothead friends, so there was no competition for his friendship and me anymore. Okay, well, I'll give a pylon shout-out to my homeboy, Steve, I met earlier tonight. Super nice guy, um, you know, helped me at the White Castle with my menu. Uh, that was pretty cool, Steve. And um, i give another pylon shout-out to uh, my boy, Bandit, who has been a pretty good boy lately. And that's why he got himself some White Castle burgers tonight. Well, that's a wrap, guys. Thank you, all you truckers, road brothers, and sisters out there. We'll be back for visit number 12 next week. Keep the sunny side up and the shiny side down. Hey.